Amen. Mark chapter 12, verse number 30, very familiar of Scripture. And it's a response by Jesus. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Can we pray that God would speak to us today, that whatever he has designed for us, that it would be evident that we would feel his uh, word speaking to us. Lord Jesus, we pray Lord God, today, Lord, that as we get into your word, as we begin to study, Lord, that it is more than just words on a page, but I pray, Lord, let it be quick and let it become alive in this place. I pray in our hearts, Lord, and in our minds, Lord, that there is something that is stirred by your word. Lord God, that it is the power, Lord, that you promised, Lord, let it be forth, Lord, today, Jesus, in your precious name, in Jesus' name, you can be seated. Amen. And it is kind of repeating almost verbatim what is in the Old Testament. Um, but here Jesus is responding that we are to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. So from Old Testament to New Testament, we find this commandment that we are to love God with everything that is within us. And uh, that seems okay. And, and in case you're wondering, Old Testament to New Testament, we're actually still in the New Testament it's all right. It's still being written. It's just not being added to the pages of this word here. But we are part of the New Testament church. We are instructed to love God. Um, but I think we need to know at times that it is not just a one-way street. God loves us. More importantly, God loves you. I, I, I know that we hear that and maybe we think that it is something that is simply a, a topic that needs to be relegated to a Sunday school classroom somewhere. Uh, that's where they can sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so is that last line that I want to look at today here in a few moments. But I remember being in a, a service as a young person, probably junior high or high school was probably one of the first times and probably on the platform playing a saxophone or a trumpet somewhere. And um, it was one of those services where it was the altar call. It was our, it was our Sunday night service. You know how those are, right? It just... Uh, for those, some of you can remember, and it was just the altar call went on for a long time, but it went to that slow, just lingering spirit of God that nobody wanted to leave. And I remember watching as the worship leader who also played the piano or the organ, whichever he was on at that time, and he looked at me and knew that there was going to be a change in the song. And he switched to this song, and I was rather embarrassed. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I was embarrassed. I almost didn't want to play it with them. Let this be a solo gig here. But for whatever reason, began to play. But I noticed something that began to happen. What had been a lingering spirit in an altar somehow went to another level. As people began to be reminded by the words of what may be considered a Sunday school song, which they probably don't learn anymore, but that's okay. And to be reminded that, yes, Jesus loves me. And as he began to play so slow and began to sing that and to play that, I just watched as the Spirit began to fall again. 
And I think at times we need to be reminded that while the scripture is very emphatic that we are to love God with everything that is within us, the Bible also confirms that yes, Jesus loves me. And yes, Jesus loves you. But does the Bible really say that? Now that's a rhetorical question because you know what I'm going to say and you probably can even think of some references that I will use. But I just felt very obvious that this was a word for today to be reminded that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Because while we know it is clear, I've got to love him. And that seems our responsibility. And it is. Jesus loves you. He loves me. And the Bible does tell me. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Make no mistake, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. But I'm so thankful that it says nowhere in there that God does not love these individuals. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. But nowhere in there does it say that he somehow withholds his love. In fact, uh, Paul even records, he says, such were some of you. But we were washed. We were sanctified. He cleansed us. I think sometimes we need to stop and remember how good God has been to us. Sometimes it's been so long since we, know, we wouldn't recognize the old man, the old us, and I'm so thankful for it. But most of us have a past somewhere. And we're so thankful that God washed us and sanctified us because He loves us. For a couple of Wednesday nights, we've brought some testimonies and we've talked about old testimony services. We've made some fun a little bit and had some fun along the way with that, but but I remember some of the old timers say something like, God has brought me a mighty long way. As a seven, eight-year-old, I didn't know what that meant. I, it's about a 30-minute trip here. That's a long ways to church. But when you have been through some things and you see how faithful God has been to you and how he's never given up on you, you can make those statements and understand that God has really brought me a mighty long way. He has followed us. He has pursued us into places that we would be embarrassed to know or to tell anyone else that we were involved in. But yet still there is a God that is reaching for us, that follows us. We hear the stories of those that have somehow turned their back on the faith, but yet at times they, they feel that presence of God overwhelm them in the strangest of places where you would assume it's a godless place that God couldn't even be there. But God is chasing them down, and they feel the love of God. So I want to share with you what the song says, that the Bible truly does say so that, yes, Jesus loves you. Someone has to know it's not simply a feeling alone. But it has to be the understanding that the word actually says it. To get it inside of our head. To know the knowledge of who God is. So it doesn't matter if you feel it or not. You have to know that yes, God loves you and he loves me. 
He has, he does, he will, and he always will love you and me. Paul begins to paint a picture as well in Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. He says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the, the prayer warrior. The one who has been in the faith 70 years and never made a mistake. I don't think that person exists, but let's assume it did. That Christ died for the ungodly. That's some love. In fact, it goes on to make it very clear. Verse number 7, for scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. And verse number 8 makes it clear for us again. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet Sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's tragic that at times I, I feel compelled to try to convince someone that, that they have not somehow went beyond the bounds of where God can no longer love them and no longer forgive them. Probably some of you, you've probably had, by a show of hands, if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who felt they went too far, you've had a conversation with somebody. Most people in this room, right, you're trying to tell them, convince them that, uh, uh, of what the Word says and that there's, there's not a place that they could go that is beyond God's love. It doesn't mean that we are forever saved. Don't confuse the two. But there is never a place that we go where God does not love us. You know, it is, it's a lie from hell. It's a lie from the, the enemy of our soul that tries to convince us that you have gone too far this time, that you were beyond the place where God could love you, that God could forgive you, and, and they're tormented by that. But if they could only hear what the real Word of God says, they will not find that anywhere, but they will find that a God who unconditionally loves them, even in their sin, even in their ungodly state, that God loves us. Perhaps one of my favorite chapters, and I've preached from it multiple times and will again, and I'm not going to preach it today, but just Luke chapter 15, and I have labeled that for me the, the lost chapter, because here Jesus is speaking uh, to a group of sinners, and we know that they are sinners because the Pharisees are not excited about it. They are very upset, in fact, that Jesus is speaking to this group. But Jesus has a very specific word for them that is not for anyone else, and he is speaking to them uh, about the, the 99 and that how the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. And he rejoices. And then he makes sure that they don't miss it. And he says, heaven rejoices when one sinner returns. And then he goes on with the second parable about the coins. And they search for the lost coin. They find it. And again, all of heaven rejoices. And then the prodigal. This is not just one parable, not just two parables, but three parables. He is speaking to these people that everyone knows are not living the way that they should. But here Jesus, God manifests in the flesh is speaking to them face to face and tells them about the prodigal, the father that never stopped looking and immediately forgives and accepts him back, not as a lesser, but as a son. Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. 
whether I feel it or not. And Jesus is looking into the eyes of these known sinners, these people that have transgressed so publicly that everybody knows. And he wants them to hear that refrain in triplicate. So he breaks it down in three different parables, making sure that they understand that at the moment that you give into that love, all of heaven will rejoice. You know, at times... Those, and I think some people have shared testimonies about it. In fact, it was Sister Grace talked about how that, uh, you know, the, the enemy tried to continually beat her up. You'll never get it right. You can't do enough. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, that's even part of the growing process. There is correction that happens. And so at times, maybe you feel like I'm just not getting it right because it seems like every time I open the, the Word of God, it's convicting. And every time I pray, there's conviction. And every time pastor preaches, it's directly at me, and I, I feel it. And every evangelist has got my number, and uh, every time they're here, they, they're speaking a word to me. And it's correcting at times, and I don't always like it. Uh, but don't misunderstand. By the very nature of that feeling... God is saying, I love you. It doesn't feel that way, but Hebrews 12 and 5 also makes it very clear that that is indeed what is going on. He says, and ye have forgotten uh, the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So don't, don't be upset about it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Just because somebody's telling you something you don't want to hear. Just because it feels like the pastor, the evangelist, the word, or in prayer, it's just rebuking you. Verse number 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That puts it in a different picture, doesn't it? If you haven't, let's put it this way. I'm going to get to the next verse here in a moment. But let's put it this way. If you have not felt the conviction, convicting power of God lately, you might not be in a good spot. Because the Word of God makes it very emphatic that the, whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. In other words, there is the expectation that as we are growing in this love and this relationship with Him, that at times He's going to tell us things we don't want to hear. But it is all because He loves us. Verse number 7. If ye endure chastening, uh, God dealeth with you as with sons. In other words, he says, if, if this is what's happening to you, you feel like it's always correction, and, and, but you're just trying to keep go, doing what's, what's right. He says, he's treating you as a son. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now, we have probably all met some children who their parents did not... Uh, who the parents did spoil the rod, right? Who, they never got correction. They, in fact, we were t I was talking with somebody before service, and we were talking about what some of our schools look like these days, and it was like some of them just need some correction. Uh, and, and definitely that was the expectation here in the Old Testament writer that a parent who loves his child is going to correct them at times. Uh, he's going to make sure that they know the difference between right and wrong. And it... it it's true, as parents, we, we don't or we shouldn't correct out of anger, but we're trying to shape our children because we know that that's what is needed. And it isn't easy. Uh, sometimes it really does hurt us more than it hurts them. Okay, maybe it's just me, but sometimes it really does hurt me more than it hurts them. 
or even just keeping up with how long they're grounded and what they can and can't do. Sometimes that's just, that's just uh, troublesome, right? Uh, it's inconvenient. Uh, but as a good parent, I, I try to keep up with what I said I was going to do because I'm hoping that they learn something along the way. Um, and sometimes, no doubt, as earthly parents, sometimes we, we get it wrong and we don't do it quite right. Uh, I believe God gets it right, but sometimes we're not perfect. But no doubt, as a child that is receiving the scolding or the punishment or the correction, how does that feel? Insulting? A sign of complete failure? My parents don't love me. Uh, uh, and, and, and no doubt the parents are having a hard time with that because they actually do love their children. That's what sometimes is a tug of war as a parent. You correct them, but then you want to hug them because you want them to hug you back and feel like everything's okay. But yet you did just, it's, it's difficult at times to try to walk that line of correction. But as parents, even regardless of what maybe the child feels, we want them to know that dad still loves you, that dad still cares for you. That mom still loves you, still cares for you. Yes, there has to be correction, but it's because I love you. Now, it's much easier as parents to understand that sort of uh, oxymoron, right? As a child, though, it's difficult. And for us, at times, it is uh, hard for us to believe that God still loves us when we feel the correction. And we sometimes feel like a failure. David is in a similar situation, and we think of one of the main sins that, that David had, and this is not that one. It is one that you probably would not think of as a sin. And what great sin did David do? He numbered the people. We are in great sin every single Sunday because we number the people. Sister Lindsay right now is furiously noting and numbering the people. Who's here? Who's not here? Um, Thankfully, God did not give us the direction not to number the people. So I think we're all right. But for whatever reason, God did speak and told David that it was not okay for him to number the people. And I don't know why he wanted to number the people. They were being victorious. They were winning uh, uh, wars and battles. But for whatever reason, he chose to number the people, even though God said not to. And he is faced with three punishments, and he gets to choose he says, David, you can choose whatever punishment you want. Now, to me, if you read it, and I'm, this is not the point of this lesson, but they don't seem all equal to me. There are some that I would rather choose than others. Uh, but he gets the choice. And what does David do? You know, if it's me, I'm like, that one only lasts how long? And then I could get out. You know, I'll be strategizing. You know, do you want to spank him, Jason, or do you want to be grounded? And I'm strategizing. Well, I'd probably rather be spanked because then it's over and my parents aren't mad at me for a whole week while I'm grounded. Yeah, I'll take the spanking. You know, you're strategizing how, uh, which punishment you want. David doesn't do that because David knows the love of his God. And what he simply does, he says, let me fall into the hands of a merciful God. I was wrong. There are consequences, but I know that God loves me. There are punishments. There are things that I don't like as a result of my actions. But one thing I know is that God loves me. He will do right by me. He may be upset at me. He may be disappointed in me. But I know that my God loves me. 
And that's why David did not have to strategize, which one do I pick? He just said, God, I throw myself at your mercy. Whatever you think is appropriate, that's what I will suffer. It is for these reasons that he felt the safety because he knew that God still loves him. Even though he failed, even though he disobeyed God, he knew, still knew God loves me. While we're on David, it's easy to pick on David, right? David, he's spoken about probably more than any other king in the Old Testament. His good things, his not so good things. And David was known as a man after God's own heart, and we remember that. But we also remember him not only for numbering the people, but for adultery and also for murder. But David admits his wrongs and always comes back to God. So, so how is he a man after God's own heart? It's not that he did not fail. And you say, maybe it's because uh, he always came back to God. And I, I believe that's right. He could recognize his mistakes and he would come back to God and say, God, I failed. Whatever you want of me. But the other observation that I get from that is every single time that David comes back to God, God wraps his arms around him. He leads him. He guides him. He forgives him. Why? David knew my God loves me. I may not be perfect. I may have to accept some things and, and deal with the consequences of my actions. But this one thing I know, David knew that God loved him. Regardless of the heartache maybe that he brought on himself, he knew that God loves him. And so God will forgive me if I return to him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength as the opening scripture and is also recorded in the Old Testament. Is there more? How do we know God loves us? I, again, this is so elementary, but I, I felt compelled. The Israelites, God freed them. We, we know that story, right? And uh, there's no more murder. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more toiling. There's no more beatings. There's no more killing of their children. They saw the plague as they were spared, the death angel. And now they're whining and complaining and even going so far as to say, I wish we were back in Egypt. I'm tired of the manna. I wish I was back in Egypt. I want meat. God actually gives them meat. What a gracious God we have. Now, he gave them so much that it made them sick, but that, that's all right. Uh, this water is bitter. I want water, and now it's bitter. I don't like this. I wish I was back in Egypt. God changed it. And all of the time, we can't or it won't work. I wish I was back in Egypt, back with all, of, all the murder and the pain and the sorrow and the slavery and the toiling and the beating and the killing of their children. And they're at the Red Sea. I wish we were back in Egypt. Wish we had never left. And how easy is it to love people like that that are just constant whiners? I work with some. I know you probably do too. they just always whining about something. And as children... If they're your children that are whining or complaining, I, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I've known of parents that have had to talk to the children. When we get to that birthday party, it's your birthday party. Everyone is there for you. And when you open a present, I don't care if you've got five of them, you act like you love that one. Because I'm not going to have a son of mine be ungrateful. And you, none of you probably ever had to. I just heard about parents that had to do stuff like that. 
Now, my nephew was never that way. He was the most genuine. Jonas is now probably 13 or so. And, and, but he literally could open up a pair of socks at Christmas. And it was genuine. This was his expression. They're white and red. I mean, as a child, there's nothing worse than socks and underwear. Now, you know, that's what Christmas time is for as adults. I need new socks and underwear. But as a child, uh, it's a little different. And, and, and when they are ungrateful, it's, it's, as a parent, it is embarrassing. And, and, and maybe at that point in time, we may be punished a little bit uh, too severely because we're upset that they're so ungrateful. How could you be uh, so ungrateful? I'm taking this present back to Walmart. I saved the receipt. I'm canceling the party if this is your attitude. There ain't nobody coming to this house for a birthday party if that's the way, you know, because we're embarrassed or whatever it is. Somebody, the child seems somewhat ungrateful. And, and how easy would it have been for God to do that to Israel? If that is how you feel, you want to go back to Egypt, I'll take you back. And in fact, there were some times that got pretty close. And uh, thankfully, Moses began to intercede. And, and true enough, their actions caused their extended journey, caused them pain, heartache, death even at times in the camps but, uh, and other trials that they endured. But beyond not utterly destroying them, which God might have felt justified, and maybe as a parent who has an ungrateful child, there's that momentary senile impulse that almost makes you want to go there as well. But even in all of that, in their constant complaining, we know the scripture says that their shoes never wore out. All the complaining and griping and their clothes never wore out. And the manna never ceased. And the water still flowed in the desert. And they're led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. For 40 years, God loves us. Even when we make mistakes, even when we complain maybe more than we should, somebody needs to hear God still loves us. And once in the promised land, we, we know the story And every year in my annual Bible reading. And I go back through some of those things uh, and, and all the judges that ruled uh, over the Israel. And then the kings that came after that. And it's painful for me, for me to read in Kings and Chronicles. And, and because those that have, have read through those regularly, you know what it's like. And you're waiting for the hammer to fall. Because you're waiting for it said, and the king, he did that which was right. In the sight of God. And you know immediately what's going to happen. Right? You know what's going to be in the land. But something in your heart just grieves. When it says. And he did evil as his father. And tore down not the high places. And burnt incense to strange gods. You're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Or it says something like. He did evil in the sight of God. As did his father. 
And again and again, the tragedies that always befall them simply because they have turned from God. And many times he considers destroying them completely, but because of his promises, he does not. But tragedy and persecution, sometimes for generation after generation after generation after generation. It might have been five generations that have taken Israel so far from God. That the people that don't even know who God is. They don't even know how to worship him. They don't even know how to serve him. But there will be that one king. That one judge. That comes. And he doesn't even know how to do everything right. And this is what I love and what I see. Even if he doesn't know how to do the sacrifices correctly, he doesn't know how to do all the worship correctly, he doesn't know how to use all the instruments that are in the tabernacle, he doesn't even know how to lead people in spiritual things. As soon as there is the hint that that king, that that judge wants to follow God, immediately... God begins to run to them. And you see that they began to win battles again. That droughts began to cease. That prophetic word returns. That God starts to lead them. Even after multiple generations have come and gone. That led them far away from God. Even though the king now doesn't even know how to serve God. Just a hint. And God says, that's what I love. And, and he begins to bless them. Even when they don't have everything right. That's how I know. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. You start that road to him. and You start to walk with him again. And he literally runs to us. I, I remember that song. I think it was a Phillips Craig and Ding song. Uh, I, I loved that song. When Jesus ran. When God ran. About the prodigal. But I see that that's what he does. That's the kind of love that our God has. Need some more? Sure, why not? Why? How do I know the Bible says he loves us? Let's just switch to Nineveh. A very evil, uh, incredibly cruel. This is not just what's recorded in, in, in Jonah, but also recorded in, in, in history and other things. The atrocities that were committed against humanity. Nineveh was a horrid uh, 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 city. It was a horrid people. And uh, not only were they the enemy of the Israelites, the Israelites feared them and hated them because they were so cruel, inhumane. They were not a nice people. So it's no surprise that Jonah does not want to go there to Nineveh to warn them. We know the story. This is, this is Sunday school material, right? Uh, Jonah didn't want to go not because he feared them. He didn't want to go not because of their cruelty and what he thought they might do to him. He was afraid to go because he knew how much God loves people. He was so afraid that if I tell them that they're getting ready to be destroyed, that they'll turn. And I know that the moment that they turn, regardless of what God has already said he will do, he will stay that and he will forgive them. And that's why he didn't want to go. We know the story. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. They turned uh, uh, away from their, their ways. They fasted. They fell on their face, turned to God. And it says that God repented of the evil that he had planned to do. Even though it had already been written. Here's what's coming. That's how I know God loves me. If he can love a people like Nineveh. And the moment that they say, I don't even know who you are, God, but I'll turn to you. And he says, all right. I'll stop it. I'll stay it. That's how I know God loves me. 
And we hear the scriptures crying out that Jesus loves you. The Bible tells me so. You know, as you began to study the scripture, I can't really find one. Maybe it's there, but I can't really find one instance where God withheld his love and withheld his saving grace, withheld his cleansing blood. The only thing I can find is that truly one day that ends. But that is not until the end of time or until we draw our last breath. But until that day, while we have breath, rest assured. Rest assured that no matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what atrocities, whether they're true or untrue that have been leveled or set against you, the scripture plainly says, God loves you. God loves me. And I'm so thankful for that love. Because there's nothing that I have ever done that could make God love me. And so he wanted to make sure it was recorded that for the ungodly, for the sinner, that God died for us. That God took on humanity, that he wrapped himself in flesh, that he humbled himself, that he went through all sorts of ridicule. And it was all the things that I should have received. They were all the things that I should have endured. But he put it upon him. He drank of that cup and he hung on a cross and his blood flowed. Why? Because he loves me and he loves you. Amen. As we all stand in this place. I don't know why somehow it wrote it more of a lesson and it seems that it's the emotion is maybe more than a typical lesson. And maybe God just scriptures weren't enough. Somebody needed to fill the emotion of a God as he pleads with us and reminds us, I love you. I don't just love the person sitting next to you. I don't just love the person sitting on the other side of the sanctuary. I don't just love you for how good you've been, but I love you regardless of who you've been. And I'm always reaching for you. That's my God. So maybe the question needs to be asked, and I know this is a lesson. This is a, a little different. But what will you do with this seemingly reckless and unconditional love? Francis Chan called it a, a crazy love. What do you do with that? Again, don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. But that has nothing to do with the love of God. Regardless of whether you're defined by fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves and covetous and drunkards, and revilers and extortioners, hear me that God loves you. Regardless of what title humanity would put above you, whatever they would choose if they could to write on your tombstone of who you are. Let it be known that while you draw breath on this earth, that God loves you. And without doubt that the Bible tells us so. It's emphatic. God loves us. The question is what do we do with that kind of unconditional love? I know what I'm going to do with that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I may not get it right every time. God may have to correct me in an altar at times, but I've made up my mind. I'm not leaving this thing. I'm not going to turn to the left. I'm not going to turn to the right. But as for me and my house, I know my God loves me, and I will serve him. I will worship him. I will follow him. My God loves me. Amen. As we bow our heads just for a moment before we prepare for our worship service, I'm just going to pray that.